0: Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, senior minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today.
1: Our scripture reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter six, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power This is the Word of God for all God's people. Thanks be to God.
0: Would you pray with me? O oh Lord, as we hear your Word read and proclaimed... I humbly ask that you open our hearts, open our souls, open our ears, so that we would hear what you would have us learn this day. But in the midst of that, O Lord, may your Spirit transform our lives, so that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So if you've ever watched the genre of movies, the action movie genre, if you've ever really watched that, you know sort of what happens. You know, there's this protagonist, this character that either gets pushed way too far too often, or there's some invading army or enemy force that's about to threaten to take over, you know, the home camp or if you're into the space genre of action movies, there's some alien robot horde that's about to take over the world or the universe. In the midst of that, the protagonists, they retreat, they retreat back to their home base and somewhere either in their house or in their basement or even in the garage, there is this closet, they push a button, this magic closet opens up, or it's a storage unit where they lift the garage door up to And inside is all of the weaponry you can imagine in the face of the earth. If it's a war type movie, there's all kinds of machine guns and grenades and knives and swords and pistols and rifles. Or if it's a space movie, there's all kinds of laser guns and whatnot. And everything in between, even in some movies down to a baseball bat. And the character, the protagonist sits there trying to figure out how to do this. And they start grabbing all these weapons that they want to use. And before you know it, they've got 250 pounds or 300 pounds worth of ammunition and guns on them, as if you can do anything with that much weight, walking around. But as I've watched those movies over the years, I've realized the characters always got this real intentionality. To me, on screen, one machine gun looks like the other, but they're careful, I want that one, and one of those, and two of those, and they're real intentional about the weapons that they choose for the fight ahead. And this got me thinking. When we are faced with the impossible in our day, when we are under siege by the forces of evil and whatnot in life, when we know that there is going to be some kind of difficulty, some kind of battle that we're going to face in life ahead, whether it's today, tomorrow, or in the weeks to come, or we have to have that difficult conversation with that friend or family member, or much less worse, that person that we don't know well, and we may even consider our nemesis, We have to have those difficult conversations when that conflict is about to happen. What weapon do we choose? What is our weapon of choice when we're trying to face the difficulties of life? What is it that we choose out of our mythical closet of all of the armaments that we could have? What do we reach out and intentionally grab a hold of? As so we look at our passage today, we realize that Paul is writing from prison in Rome. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, but he's writing it from a jail cell. See, Paul is a high value target, a high value prisoner. Everything he's done in his ministry has earned him this opportunity, this right, if you will. His missionary work in throughout all of the Roman Empire, organizing churches threatens to, it challenges the whole order of the Roman government. If you ever think about your Roman history, the one thing about Rome that you could count on is that they were ruthless fighters and they liked their order and their structure. And anything that threatened it threatened the entire empire and they were going to crush that. So that was strike one against Paul. Strike two, he was teaching that there was a higher allegiance, something higher than Rome, something higher than even the Roman gods and even within the countries in which he was preaching and teaching, something higher than the religious orders of those communities. That was strike two. And strike three against Paul was that he organized people into communities of faith, communities that believed that they could do more and could do better together as a community. And nothing threatens a government that's bent on control than large groups of people who think they can do it better. Strike three. So here's Paul, this high value prisoner in Rome. He's in his own jail cell. He's in solitary confinement. He's in there in solitary confinement, not much different from Roman times to the modern times. The whole idea was to keep the prisoners away from communication, away from organizing a way to give them something to think about. But in Roman times, it earned him something more because he was this high value prisoner. He had his own centurion staked right outside his jail cell. In full battle rattle, in all of his swords, all of his armor, all of his helmets, the shield, the spear, day in and day out, day and night, there was a centurion placed right outside Paul's cell. And that was what he got to look at. It was either the four walls or the centurion. And so the more that Paul stares at the centurion, the more he comes up with this metaphor of the whole armor of God. He did that to encourage Christians because he began to think that the Christians are in this fight against forces of evil in the world. And what's the weapon that we could use most is our faith. If we use our faith to fight oppression, we use our faith to fight persecution evil and unrighteousness in whatever forms they present themselves, then God wins and ultimately the world wins. He wanted to use this idea of the whole armor of God to encourage the church in Ephesus and all who would read it, that in this whole armor of God, we have surrounded ourselves with God's love, God's truth, God's grace, God's teachings then not only will we survive whatever may come of life, but we will thrive throughout it. But then he gets to the point in the final verses. He says, if we're going to fight, if we're going to fight all of this that sort of threatens to bury us, to threaten that sort of threatens to squash what God has been doing in the world through Jesus Christ and through the early church, then we've got to pray. like a modern day David and Goliath story that we don't need necessarily all this armor what we really need is the one weapon of choice is prayer if you and I want to thrive if we want to survive in our world whatever may come our way prayer is what we should use now if we're honest with ourselves i mean really honest in a way that we don't sometimes like to talk about with our friends, our neighbors, and maybe even ourselves. Life is not hugs and rainbows and unicorns 24 seven, is it? It's really not. There are days that the server crashes and Dropbox loses all of our files and we want to pull our hair out. There are days that we go into meetings, expecting to get a promotion only to find out that a coworker has gotten it instead. Or we go down outside the the gym teacher's office, looking at the roster of the teams expecting to find our name having made the team only realize that we've been cut. Or maybe we've been working with a customer and a client that we valued and something has gone wrong, and they have lost their mind. And so we've endured their vitriol and they're yelling and they're screaming, and their professional fit, if you will. Or you're walking across the parking lot from the grocery store and the bottom of the bag falls out and so goes the milk, the eggs, the butter, the cheese, and everything else. Or you walk into a room and you realize the people in the corner are talking about you. And it's not praise they're singing, it's gossip they're talking about you or what's going on in your life. Or maybe you're just alone and your heart is full of pain and grief. And you think no one notices and no one cares. No, life, if we're honest, it's not hugs and rainbows or unicorns all the time, is it? But what if What if no matter what each day brings, you and I decided that we were going to arm ourselves with our weapon of choice, and that was prayer? What if our prayers were constant, our prayers were intense, our prayers were unselfish? What if we used prayer as a way to survive and thrive through not only today, but tomorrow and the weeks to come throughout our entire lives? In Scripture, we find Jesus telling the disciples to pray without ceasing. And I think that Jesus is not just talking about being, praying constantly, but Jesus is talking about this constant level of prayer. Now, I'm not suggesting that we become like religious nuts where we pray for every decision. Like, for example, when I go to lunch and the choice is salad or country fried steak, that should not take prayer. Country fried steak it is, unless you're my cardiologist, and then we'll talk about that later. No, I think that what we're talking about when Jesus says pray without ceasing, when we talk about prayer as a constant in our lives, we're talking about this idea of that we live our lives with a sense of God's presence around us and with us always. We live our lives, the words that we choose, the choices that we make, our actions, everything reflects God. Think about it. Does the way that we do business day in and day out, does it reflect God? Are we trying to do it where we're trying to help each other out, where we're trying to succeed? Yes, make a profit, but B, not put someone out of business. I think there's a way to make a sale and not be a jerk about it. Does the way that we respond when we're blown out by a friend or family member or a customer, does that reflect God or does that just become an opportunity for us to fire back our own vitriol, our own anger, our own frustration. Does the way that we respond reflect God? Now, I don't know about you, but I think there's nothing that tests my faith more than a telephone call to customer service at the cable company. You know what I'm talking about you've made that same call. It has gotten to the point now that I have decided that when I have to make that call, I put it off for three days and I just pray. I pray that one of two things will happen. The cable company just goes away. Actually three things. I don't need the internet so far. I'm 0 for 2 on those. Or that three, by the time I make that call, my heart is right. Because the man or the woman on the end of that call can't help me. They're the first person that answers the phone call. And for whatever reason why I'm calling, they probably can't help me and it's not their fault. But imagine how that conversation goes if when we make that call, we have this attitude of prayer, God's presence with us, and we treat them that way. They still can't help me, but they are more inclined to want to figure out how to, because I'm the first customer of the day that hasn't yelled at them. I think that's what Christ means when he says, pray without ceasing and being constant attitude of prayer. When Paul writes about prayer, Koal wants us to be constantly thinking about being in prayer as if Christ was standing next to us. To fight the fight that Christ wants us to fight in our world. We've got to live a life of prayer day in and day out. But that's not enough. We have to pray intense prayers. Remember Jesus prayed in the garden. It said that Jesus prayed so intently that he began to sweat blood. Now, I don't know how hard you work, but I work really hard when I work in the yard and I mean, I sweat like a horse and I have never been that intense to sweat blood. I have focused and concentrated on things like multivariable calculus so much so that it was intense, but never like that. See, what I think was really happening was not only for the physical, but also just the intentionality that our prayers must be intent because through prayer, we will persevere in life because not everything that we pray for is going to happen the way that we think it should. Not everything we pray for is going to happen in our time and our timetable, or even the way we want it to. But what God wants us to do is to keep praying anyway, to keep praying anyway. I think of a friend of mine, he, a couple of years ago, he lost his job. He told me he went to work in the morning. They called him in for a meeting. He said, it was a great day, Glenn. It was wonderful outside. It was the fall, you know, football season was here. You know, it was a crisp day. I walked in, I had a 10 o'clock meeting with management. And by noon, I walked out carrying all of my worldly possessions in a box. I've got a daughter about to go to college. I've got food that I need to put on the table. We've got a mortgage to pay. And I'm thinking to myself, dear Lord, how am I going to do this? What is supposed to happen? What do you want from me? What do you want to have happen? And for several months, I prayed that prayer as resume after resume, as interview after interview happened and failed until I finally landed a new job. And I was so thankful, I kept praying that prayer. Lord, let me do good stuff. Let me, show me how you want to use me. As I started working for this company, things started out well and wonderful. And then I started noticing some differences in the way they like to do business in the way I like to do business. I began to find myself in ethical dilemmas where I didn't like who I was becoming at work. And I began praying about that. I said, God, what do you want from me? What, you know, what am I supposed to do here? I, I, I don't like being who I am at work. And pretty soon I knew that two things, one of two things had to happen. Either needed to sell out or get out. And so he said, and so I came home one day. All my worldly possessions from work in a banker's box. And I prayed that prayer. Lord, what does this mean? Where do you want me to be? What does all this mean for me? What does this mean for my family? The struggles haven't changed. What do you want? And he said, this went by for several weeks and several and a month or two, and then I found a new job and I got into it and I got excited. I was feeling fulfilled. I started looking around our division realized that there were some neat things that we could do, some small changes that would improve things at work and improve the value for our company. I was excited about it. I was giving thanks and I was making suggestions and making suggestions and no one would listen. And I kept praying, Lord, why won't they listen? What's going on? Why won't they listen? He said, a few months ago, I realized why. They called us into a meeting and they'd sold our division and we closing it down. Once again, that was why no one wanted to improve because they weren't interested in keeping us around. And out the door I went, holding my box, asking the question, What do you want, Lord? What do you want from me? What does all of this mean? Why does this keep happening? Why now? Why me? Instead of sitting at home one day feeling sorry for myself, and I realized, you know what? I know all of my clients from all three of these companies. It's all the same work. We did business consulting. I can do this. And I know how I want to do it. I want to do it my way. And so I picked up the phone and I reached out and I called one of my old clients and I said, hey, you still having trouble with this product, this process? And they said, Yes. He said, Well, would you work with me? Just a straight out contract, me working with you. And one thing led to another. Two or three clients picked up, and I began praying and said, Lord, is this what you want? And he said, Months later, I realized through all of this, God was preparing me so that I could run my own business, my own consulting firm, doing it my way with my ethics. And doing the good work that I knew that I could do. He said, Glenn, in and out, up and down, through it all, I knew that I needed to pray. In and out, up and down, through it all, through all those prayers, God kept pushing me in the right direction. So my brothers and sisters, when we look at prayer as our weapon of choice, when we pray intently and intensely through the difficulties in life, We don't stop when we hit a roadblock. We don't stop when things don't go our way, but we keep praying because we have a God that doesn't stop on us, but God who keeps loving us too every step of the way. And finally, if we pray constantly, if we're in a constant sense of prayer and intense prayer, then we should pray unselfishly. We should pray for others each and every day. When you think of the conflicts and the difficulties that you have with friends and family and co-workers, don't pray that they change their mind. Don't pray that they realize that you've got it all figured out. Whether you do or not doesn't matter. Don't pray that. What if it happens if you prayed this prayer? What would happen if you began to pray for their well-being, for their happiness, for their success, You prayed for them and for good things in their lives. Think about it. Rather than praying that they see it the way we see it, we prayed for their goodness, for their happiness. Think of the revolution that happens in their lives, but also in our own See, I think when we pray for the best in others, it brings out the best in you and in me. And I think God smiles and maybe even chuckles a little bit because isn't that what God wants? For us to bring out the best in each other, the best in you and the best in me for the world. See, if prayer is our weapon of choice and we pray unselfishly and we bring out the best in the world and everyone wins and that's what God wants for us. That's what God wants for all the world to see and hear. So I don't know what your day looks like when you start. When you get up in the morning, I don't know how you approach your day if you think, oh my gosh, I've got the rat race, I've got the battle. Now some of you tomorrow... There's going to be a battle in your house because you've got to get kids out the door to school. Some of you, you've got the battle with school, so my prayers are with you. So I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what your, your closet or your dresser or whatever looks like. I don't know if you've got in your closet, when you open it up, everything is neatly organized, and you've got your shirts ordered by color and sleeve length and style and your suits and whatnot. Or in your dressers, if you've got your socks sorted from your, your dress socks, from your athletic socks, and everything up and down, everything's nice and neat. Or if you get dressed by the pile in the corner, I think that's the clean pile. We'll start there. I don't care how you do it. But what if you you, if you the same intensity, the same intentionality with which you pick out that outfit for tomorrow, for your day? What if you before you put on your uniform of the day, you decided My weapon of choice today is prayer. And you picked that up. And you asked God to be constantly around you and that your life would be a constant echoing of that attitude of prayer. That if you prayed intently, no matter what may come, what may happen, that you just keep on praying. And oh yeah, what if you prayed unselfishly? you prayed for others, that they would have their best day, their best opportunity, their best outcomes. See, I think if we choose that as the way to start our day, no matter what may come, no matter what may happen, we will not only survive, but we will thrive and surpass it. And our God in heaven will smile and God's love will rule the day.